So our reading is James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. This is the word of the Lord. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Good morning. It's great to be here. I can see we are faced with uh, an interesting passage. It's a very short one, but as we've been saying the past few weeks, James is a very punchy letter. It just goes straight to the point, bum, 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 gives it to you and moves on to the next thing. So hopefully, um, yeah, God will speak through us, well, to us and through me through this um, letter. So yeah, let's get into it. A few months ago, I went to rent a family car for a, sorry, a car for the family for a trip. And uh, when I arrived at the company, I saw another car that was bigger, it was better, and I thought it was better suited for their family needs because you know we were five and we wanted a bigger boot and all that. So I called the attendant and said, well, I know I booked this car, but I have seen this other car which I think will suit us better. So can I, can I, can I have it? And of course, as any sales assistant would say, he said, oh, sure, you can. Well, you can have it. But he paused and said, it's got some electrical problems. You know, it fails intermittently, the electricals. Do you still want it? And I thought to myself, goodness, who would want such a car? Why is it even out for display? You know, this is the UK. You shouldn't have such a car out. Anyway, I, I, I didn't go for that, as you would expect. Nobody would. Now, the original car I booked was new. It wasn't, there was nothing wrong with it, but just I was small. It wasn't as comfortable as I thought it would be. The bigger car, which was the other one, was big and would meet our needs. So I desired to have that. Sometimes when we see people who have better things or when we see things in better conditions, we desire them, especially rich people who have things and who can afford things and who can have comfortable lives and bigger budgets and things like that. You know, we are tempted to sometimes um, envy and want them. But when we get to know how corrupted, broken, and where they are headed, the doom they may be heading to, we check ourselves and we realize we may not want that after all. Now, the salesperson helped me to see that the car I delighted in and I desired was actually not something to be desired. I think this passage is doing the same thing. This passage helps us to see that the lifestyle of the wicked rich, not just any type of rich person, but the wicked rich, is not something to be desired. It may look great, it may look comfortable, it may look like something you want, but you really don't want it. We've been looking at um, James lately, as I said, and uh, we have seen that it's a letter that was written unlike other books in the Bible or other epistles in the New Testament. It wasn't just written to a particular church or for a, partic for a particular reason and all that. It was written to all churches. So it's sort of something that's written to all of us. The author, 
who was the brother of Jesus, presumably actually had, is one of those who, who had probably the most experience with, with, with the Lord. He had seen him, he had been with him, spent time with him. So far, James has been challenging Christians to let our actions reflect what we believe by changing our minds and transforming our character. And we've seen that he's done this in a very powerful way, which is also punchy and very, very practical. And he doesn't cease from that. He continues to do that. In short, James is asking the Christian, continue to live that Christian life. Live it out. Let it be evident. Let it be seen to all. But today's passage is actually slightly different because when you look at the audience and the language, it's totally different. It's not written to your ordinary or typical Christians, but it is written to a particular set of rich people. Okay. So we are going to address the passage in three key themes. Condemnation of the rich, characteristics of the rich, and counsel to the righteous. He condemns the rich, he talks about the characteristics of the rich, and also I think there is there's so much there for us as Christians to learn. So counsel for us. Now before we start, I have to say that it's not a bad thing to be rich. Riches are not bad. You know, it's not it's not a bad thing at all. Wealth gained in the right way and used rightly is good. Very, very good. It can alleviate poverty, it can help people, and I think it's a brilliant thing. There are many of God's people in the Bible who were rich in the Old Testament, New Testament, men and women. You know? So wealth in itself is not a bad thing. But how it is used and how it is gained is what makes it particularly bad. Jesus didn't say, or the Bible doesn't say, money is the root of all. He says the love of it, the love of it is what can lead one astray. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this passage is not referring to every, Christ, every rich person. That when you look at it carefully, that's not what he's doing. It's actually referring to the ungodly rich who acquire their wealth through ungodly means and spend it in an ungodly manner. So the ungodly rich. So those are the two things to keep in mind while we explore this passage. So first of all, condemnation of the rich. Now let's look at the beginning of the passage. It starts with, now listen, you rich people which means pay attention, you rich people. And you know, some of our American friends will say, um, listen up, rich guys. That is sort of a statement that demands attention. If anyone was sleeping through the reading of the letter of James, that would wake that person up. Listen up, rich people. You know? So everybody's attention is there. What's James going to say again? He said so many punchy things. What's coming up? And then... The listeners of that time as well would realize that, well, actually, that might not be something for them, the, the Christians listening then. Because when you look at the other chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, he addresses them by saying, dear brothers or brethren or beloved, you know, things like that. Things, things that were welcoming of Christians. But this one had a different notation altogether. So they would know instantly it wasn't addressed to them. Now, I'll come to why. Um, he gives it to them anyway, even though it wasn't addressed to them. And then James follows by saying, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Wow, what strong words. Weep and wail. Other versions will say, weep and howl. Which shows the intensity and the magnitude of what is coming to the unrighteous people. 
Whip and wheel were words that weren't used loosely or lightly. They, 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 they were words the old prophets usually used when judgment was coming. They were really heavy words. So I'm sure the listeners then would have understood what James was trying to convey, the intensity and the magnitude of it. Weep and wail for the misery that was coming. What were the miseries? I think there were two folds there, the miseries. First of all, they were to lose their wealth. Their clothes would be moth-eaten and their precious stones would corrode. Everything would decay. Nothing would last forever. Now, everything that defined the rich, any, everything that made them rich, would be gone. They were going to lose it. Now, if they lost what made them rich, were they, in a rich, or were, were they rich? They were no longer rich. So that was the first one. They were going to lose everything. Then the second, which was more severe, was that the very things they clung to, the very things they fought for, the very things they wanted, would testify against them in the day of judgment. That very thing they had nourished and cherished would condemn them in judgment, meaning these same things will bring their downfall in judgment. Now, it's very difficult to understand how this would happen, but I guess it's when you look at it carefully, if you're giving something to make good use of and you don't, and you're being asked to be accountable for the thing, that same thing, because you didn't, that, that same thing is what will bring you down because you didn't use it rightly. Now, John Calvin, a Christian theologian, actually commented on this, and I think he puts it beautifully, and I read, God has not appointed gold for rust, nor garment for moths, but on the contrary, he has designed them as aids to help the human life, as aids to help human life. Therefore, on the judgment day, when the ungodly rich are asked, what did you use your bitcoins and your shares for? They may say, oh, you know what? I fancied a private jet and I bought one. Now, if that was done in an ungodly way, the answer would be, eh, that's wrong, wrong answer, you are, you are, you are doomed, or you, know, you didn't use it rightly, or, what, or whatever would be said, but they would be condemned because of the, same, the very same thing. Jesus gave a good example in, um, in the Bible about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man lived in luxury, he had everything he needed, he dressed nicely, he ate good food. And the poor man desired, even just desired, to have what the rich man had, well, the leftovers. But he didn't, well, yeah, he desired to have what the rich man had, the leftovers from his table. Now, both of them died, and um, on the judgment day, the rich man um, didn't go to a good place, but the poor man did. And um, he was trying to say that, see, what the rich man had couldn't, one, save him, and two, it actually is, is the same thing. Because he didn't use it well, he didn't make good use of it. That brought his downfall. And Jesus went on to say, talk about the poor, sorry, the rich man rather spending um, agony and, 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 and pain in fire, which is quite similar to what this passage is telling us here about what would happen to the rich man. So the Bible is not actually shy of condemning rich people. It, it doesn't shy away from it, both in the Old and the New Testament. And um, yeah, we get to see that when wealth is not used in the right way, the Bible actually frowns. That God, God, God is not happy about it. Now, James' listeners would 
have been greatly comforted by these words from James. Even though it wasn't addressed to them, they, they would have been comforted. Because when you look at James 1 and James 2, we realize that these rich, well, there were rich people who were dragging them to court, who were exploiting the Christians, and who were blaspheming God's name. So to them, that, that would be a comforting um, part of, the, of, of, of James' message. Also, the Christians listening would know that James wasn't referring to them. Why? Because of the condemnation he brings on them later on. So I'll quickly move on to the characteristics of the rich, because I think that's where we'll spend most of our time in this passage. Transparency International is an organization that fights corruption and prevents crimes and things like that. Over the years, they have exposed many hideous crimes by companies, by countries, and by individuals. Now, we need such organizations in our world because there are rich and powerful countries and organizations and individuals who use their power and wealth for their selfish needs, not for the common good, leaving others suffering in pain and misery and, 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 and just exploiting them. Now, the thing is, wealth and riches give one a false sense of security and power. That deceives people into thinking they can do whatever they want, they can be whoever they are, and to whomever they want, they can do just anything, anyhow. The media runs, the media never runs out of news on scandals of rich people. Just recently, we've seen quite a number of them, rich people who have abused their power or their wealth or their position or whatever, just for their own selfish needs. Now, James 4 gives us four characteristics of the ungodly rich, which we need to be aware of. The first is hoarding. Let's have another look at um, verses 2 and 3. He says, your wealth has rotten, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Again, going back to Jesus' um, parable. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. The first indictment is the worst form of greed you could imagine. How can people hoard their wealth and goods to the point that the wealth and goods are of no use to them and to people who actually needed them? I think that is sinful. That is mean. That is really bad. They have misused and wasted the gifts that they are supposed to be stewards of. Jesus had another parable about this sort of thing in Luke 12. In the parable, a rich man had a bumper harvest and said to himself, I will tear down my old storage because it's small. I'm going to build a bigger storage for my big harvest. So he does that and he says to himself, dude, you have plenty of food stored up for many years. Eat, make merry, enjoy yourself, drink. Then God said to him, you fool, that very night. Your life will be demanded of you. And what will become of all that? All the, all the goods you have. Now, in that parable, Jesus ends with these words, which I think is important. So I'm going to read it out. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So fitting for this, for this part of James. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This means that there would be judgment for the rich who hold goods 
and are not rich towards God. Now, James' indictment goes further. It doesn't stop there. It continues to talk about the error. It says, let's look at the later part of verse 3 again. It says, in the last days. So it says, you know, I'll read it again. Um, yes, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, believers of the time understood what that meant in the last days because it was the time between Jesus' ascension and his return. They knew they were living in the last days. And, yeah, and that was the phrase they always used to refer to it. So the last days actually demanded urgency, demanded repentance, it demanded people turning to God. But these wealthy people were hoarding things in the last days, the last days where they were supposed to rather be seeking God and using the, their funds and their resources rightly. Dear friends, we live in the last days as well. We may not be rich. We may not have a lot of, you know, bitcoins and shares and things and wealth and houses and lands and many cars and all that. But I think hoarding is, you know, is the principle that matters. And hoarding is not something just relegated to the super rich. Once you have a little bit of wealth or resources or means, I think it's likely you could hoard or we could hoard. So the principles apply. It's not just how much you have, but it's the principle that's most important. When the pandemic hit last year, most of us decided to store food, toilet roll. I, can't, I, I still don't know why toilet roll, to be honest. I still don't, but hey, there you go. Toilet roll and other goods for times of adversity. Now, there is nothing wrong with, you know, things like that. You know, we all have to save financially for the future. We all have to prepare for times of adversity. Of adversity so saving is not a bad thing but when we hot things more than we need when others are in need I think we start straining to being sinful right now let me take you to your loft what are the things you've been keeping for years saying to yourself oh I'll need this I'll need this and it's still in the box you've not even unboxed it it's still in the box someone needs it and it's still sitting in the loft you know you'd never need it, but it's there. Now, let's go to your shed. What are you holding there? Now, let me take you to your bank account. You may say, oh, well, I don't earn enough. I don't have much. I'm not rich. The truth is there are millions of people around the world who live in poverty, who can even afford the basic necessities. Now, we can afford that. But we say we are not rich because we can't afford our wants and some luxuries. So we say we are not that rich. We can't afford that expensive holiday. But at least we can travel a few miles and enjoy a good holiday. There are so many who are going through so much. So in effect, we are in some sense richer than others. Now, the thing is, even a millionaire will say they are not rich because they are looking at the billionaire. So in some sense, we may say we are not rich, but... We, we may have some means, and the principle still applies. What are we keeping which others need, which other people may actually need, especially for survival? So that's the first indictment. Now, the second one is defrauding. Let's look at verse 4. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your field, are crying against you. 
The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. See, back in James' day, most of the jobs or the common job was, you know, farming. And uh, rich people who had big lands and big farms would hire people to come and work for them um, during the planting season, during the mowing season, and during the harvest season throughout. Now, what happened was that they actually paid them on the day. And to be honest, the, the, the work they did was laborious. They didn't have all these fancy machines we have now, all the drones and the mechanical equipment we have now to farm. They had to do it manually, well, with animals sometimes, but it was very laborious and arduous. So they did that. And it was the custom of the land of, of the landowners or the rich people to pay them on the day, unlike now where we are paid every month or bi-weekly or whatever, paid, they, they had to pay them every way, every day. And the reason was because they depended on it daily. You know. Now, Jesus gives an example of a good landowner in Matthew 10, where he talks about this landowner who called people into his field um, at different times of the day. And at the end of the day, he called them together and got them paid. So that is an ex ex example of a good landowner. But what James is referring to here is the bad, ungodly, rich person who would keep back what is rightfully due their workers. Now, they may do so because probably they want to invest it and have some more before they pay them. And that was e an evil practice. It was evil because it's not just defrauding them, but actually... It, was, it, 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 it could have easily affected their livelihood. Just imagine, someone goes, does this laborious work throughout the day, comes back really tired, expecting to eat some good food and then go to bed, and they have nothing to live on because they are day wages. They have to um, live by the day. Worst of all, if they have families, I mean, what are they going to feed their kids with? And so on and so forth. And sometimes the payment may not necessarily be in cash, it could be food, food, and other, 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 other means. So it, it was, it meant a lot to them. Then, so it was really mean for a landowner to not pay the wages of their workers. This is why the ungodly rich, who defraud, are wicked and evil. Now James continues to say that the cries of such people, thus the harvesters and those who mow would reach the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now, the title, the Lord Almighty, is not, um, well, in other versions of the Bible, it's actually translated the Lord of Sabbath. Now, that means the Lord of hosts. Therefore, James is saying that the cries of these workers will reach the Lord of hosts. Now, the hearers of the day would understand what that meant. They knew that the Lord had a great army in heaven. He, he, he was the Lord of Israel, or the armies of Israel. He was the Lord of a great host of army. And an army that fights injustice, an army that fights the evil one. So James was telling the hearers, the Lord who fights injustice will hear the cry of these poor workers and he will avenge them and help them. He will help them. Defrauding workers of their wages is not necessarily a practice that ended in the ancient world. Dear friends, it is still present with us today. There are many countries in the world where pensioners are denied their funds. Workers are defrauded 
of their salaries or their wages. And many are abused and used by the poor, sorry, by the rich and the powerful. It's still happening today. Modern day slavery and sex trafficking is happening in our country as I speak right now. In the year ending June 2019, over 2,000 potential victims of labor and sexual exploitation were supported by the Salvation Army in England and Wales alone. Over 2,000. Talk of the Windrush scandal, where individuals who had worked to contribute to the economy were falsely deemed illegal immigrants and forced to lose their livelihood, including their homes, housing, oh, that's homes, healthcare, and bank accounts. The concept of injustice and defrauding is easily seen on the national and the international stage. But when it comes to our lives, we struggle to sort of understand and, and, and see how it applies to us. But as, I, as I've said and I'll keep saying, it's the principle that matters. It's the concept we are looking at. So even though James is talking to the wicked rich person, let's not forget that, he's talking to the wicked rich person, the basic principle applies to us. We don't have to withhold from other people what is due them. When it is in our power to do it, when it is in our power to support them. For example, if someone owes you money, <clears throat> you have promised to pay them at a certain date or a particular time. I think we have to fulfill that, even if we feel, well, you know what, I could invest in this, so I could buy this and pay the person later, or I could do this. And when they need it, and it's in our power to fulfill our pledge or our promise or what we owe, we should. It could even be through a kind word. I know that sometimes when someone does really well, far better than you have done, and you know the person deserves your gratitude, but you're feeling bitter inside, you keep it within. I think that's not right. I think we have to let the person know it's due them, and we have to give it to them. If we know that a company is defrauding other people of its success, you know, for its success, and some companies do that internationally and locally, defraud other people for their own selfish gain, why would we support their products and invest in them just to give them more power to do more of that? Thing is something we have to review and have a think about. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, hears the cry of the poor and the weak and he will bring judgment swiftly. Then the third category or the third characteristic is the luxury and self-indulgence. When I was growing up, we only slaughtered, you know, chicken or fowls during Christmas, Easter, and special occasions. It wasn't something we did every day. It was just on special occasions. And to us, it was luxury. To some people, having a nice bar of chocolate in the bath is luxury. Now, this morning, in, a, in the day we live in, we are used to luxuries. I mean, just look at the billboards, look at the TV ads, look at the radio ads, look at the social media banners, look at banners on the internet, and so on and so forth. It's just, you know, most of the products are promoting luxury. And what I don't understand is some of them are really simple, like a yogurt. And you see someone floating on the cloud and eating the yogurt in a funny way. I'm like, come on, it's just, a, it's just yogurt. Eat it. You know, why, why, why show us all these fancy, flurry things which add no value to the product? But anyway, all, they, all these products, all these things do is to get us into that luxury mode. Look, you deserve it. You've worked hard for it. Go for it. 
and so on and so forth. And it's become so normal. The third indictment was for luxury and self-indulgence. Let's look at verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. Now, I don't think James was saying that rich people in general should not experience any form of um, luxury or hedonism at all. I, 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 I don't think so. <clears throat> Actually, the Bible tells us quite a few times that, you know, um, Christians or the righteous would prosper and, and, and enjoy the fruit of their labor and be blessed. Look at Psalm 1, 2, 8, verse 2. You know, it talks about that. And so it's, 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 there is a thin line there which we have to thread, which we'll be looking at. However, ungodly rich people in <clears throat> his day had the power and the means to afford extravagant an extravagant lifestyle. Wasteful celebrations, clothing, very expensive clothing unnecessarily, and also practices. I know that in Ghana when I was growing up, sometimes when people were going for, I don't know, occasions like funerals or various celebrations, they would, well, some people, even if they can't afford, always want to go for very, very extravagant things. And sometimes they would even pay, go on credit for that. And I'm thinking, you're not living within your means, and you're living a wasteful life as well. What, what, what point is that? I think that's what he's referring to. And this is actually particularly for the rich who can't afford. So some theologians say that the day of slaughter means that the day in which the Christians were martyred, you know, whenever, because at that point, as we've seen, they could um, condemn people, or we will be seeing soon, actually, they'll be condemning people to be martyred and all that. So it's, it's, it's the time when the Christians were slaughtered or martyred. Others believe that it means in the last days. Okay, so the days between Jesus' ascension and his resurrection, which is these days, the last days. And others also think it's the day of feasting when they slaughter animals. Now, putting all these together, I believe the day of fattening is just the day when they could afford what they have at the expense of others. And it was something they did very frequently. So I doubt James wanted his hearers to deny themselves of the basic um, luxuries of wearing good clothing. I, I, I don't think he didn't want them to wear good clothing. That's not what he, he was saying. What he was driving at was the wasteful luxuries that the ungodly rich indulge in without regard for other people. That was what he was referring to. Now the question is, when is luxury all right and when does it become sinful? Now I think in answering that question, let me pose another question. When is eating food good and when does it become sinful? Now I think that is quite simple to answer than the previous. So let's try and answer that because with that we can answer the other question. At the basic level we eat food to survive. Sometimes we eat food for delight, like dessert, which is okay. But when we start deriving our happiness and comfort from food without regards for others, we start straying into gluttony and greed, which of course we know are sinful. So the principle, I believe, is we are blessed with things and we can enjoy them because God has given us things to enjoy but we have to be conscious of how we, how we enjoy them because, one, they are not ours in the first place. They belong to God. We are just stewards of whatever we have. So spending it 
but thinking about others and being rich towards God. That's how Jesus put it, being rich towards God. Luxury today is not relegated to the rich. Because of the credit society we live in, anyone, anyone can indulge. Some levels of luxury, which includes caring for others and our loved ones, I think is good because we need to um, care for people and we need to take care of people. But when we do it for ourselves, self-indulgence at the expense of others, then we will start straying into sin. Now, one may ask, does that mean I can't buy the new expensive car I want to buy? Well, the issue is with our hearts. We have to look at our hearts and assess our hearts. Why do you want an expensive car? Why do you want that V8 engine when a one-liter engine would do? Is it because of family needs? If it's because of family needs, I think it makes sense. It's, you know, it might be a luxurious car, but it's, it's for family needs. It makes sense. But if it's for selfish ambition, to have a bigger status, to show people you have arrived and that's it, then I think one needs to reassess their decision and understand why they are taking that step. So that's what he's calling us to do. Another thing we have to remember is that luxury and self-indulgence, which leads to waste, is sinful. Waste. Jesus, in a parable in Matthew 25, talks about the talents. People are given talents, and he doesn't want any waste. Now, that parable teaches us that we have to make profit with every single talent or gift we have. In John 6 as well, Jesus continues, when he fed the 5,000, he asked his disciples to go and gather the waste. Gather the waste. So waste is something um, that is frowned on, uh, upon, which we have to really consider when we are thinking of self-indulgence and luxury. Dear friends, we are all custodians of whatever blessing we have received. Every single thing we have, we received, God gave. And we are accountable for using that in promoting the lives of other people, helping other people. And of course, we can enjoy it, but we have to make sure we are not doing that in a wasteful, ungodly way. We are not being rich. We are not. Yeah, we are rich towards God. So the extravagant life is not a characteristic of a good Christian. It's actually a characteristic of the ungodly rich. Then the fourth is murder. The fourth indictment was for murder. Let's look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. The words the innocent one here is translated in other versions, the just one, which means the saints or the Christians. James has already established in chapter 2 that, you know, these rich people were dragging the Christians to court and condemning them. Here he goes a step further to accuse the ungodly rich of condemning people and murdering them, even when they were not opposing them. The rich had the power and the influence to accuse people falsely. Now these accusations could end in death. Now what was shocking here is they, they were not even opposing the rich. Now you ask yourself, why would someone do something like that? There is a story in... 1 Kings 21, about a king who had, you know, he, he was a king of Israel, Ahab, and he had almost everything at his disposal. But there was this guy who had a field just near his family home. Now, Ahab wanted that field for a garden because it was closed, for a vegetable garden. And so he comes, he goes to, um, 
Naboth, the man is called, and says, look, can I have this? Naboth says, no, it's a family inheritance. I have to keep it for the family. Ahab goes home, sobbing like a baby, goes, he won't eat, and he's just on the bed. His wife comes in, Jezebel, and says, come on, king, why, why are you so moody and so sad? He says, oh, that silly Naboth is not going to give me that field. And Jezebel says, look, you are the king. You can have whatever you want. Now, just leave that with me. I'll sort it out. So Jezebel goes and asks people to go and accuse Naboth falsely and get him stoned, condemn, and murder. So they do that. And then she comes and says, look, it's all sorted. You can have it. Anyway, God brings judgment on Ahab. But the main point here is, what we are talking about, it, it wasn't strange. It, it could have been done, and it was being done. That's just an example. The desire to have and behold what belongs to someone else can lead people and organizations to do unimaginable things, things you can't even comprehend. The rich who have the power and the influence are particularly vulnerable to this because they feel they can do it. They have, they have the power to do it, and they want more. Now, we may not be rich to exert our influence and power in such a way that other people are hurt. But again, I go back to the principle. The principles apply to us. We live in a world where we have power in the cyber world. Even a child can have so much power and influence to condemn and to murder. Some teenagers have committed suicide because of the condemnation of other people in the cyber world, they've ended their lives. They couldn't just stand it. In the world of cancel culture, what do we do with that power? What do we do with that influence? We have to be really careful. When we are going to send the next post, we have to really think about the facts. Have I got these facts right before I condemn this person? Because... We may not be rich again, but in another sense, we have so much power now, probably than ever before, through our engagement with the screens. So we have to be very careful with what we do with, with that power and influence. Now, what does this mean for us as Christians, the counsel for the righteous? People say that experience is the best teacher, but to be honest, it's that, that's not always true. I, my little son, Joel, I don't want him to experience the, the, the burning of fire just to learn that fire burns, you know. I, I don't want that. So I believe what James is doing here is, give, is teaching us a lesson. Look, this is what you see and you may desire, but don't, don't, don't really go for it. Don't let it entice you. Don't give your heart to it. There is a passage in... Psalm 73, which I think captures this really well. So Psalm 73, the psalmist talks about how he envies the wicked and, 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 and the wicked rich. But then he gets to know that actually there's nothing in there. It's, 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 it's nothing to be desired. Nothing to be desired at all. And then when you look at the others as well, we look at, instead of hoarding, Jesus tells us, look, keep your treasures, store your treasures in heaven. And then we look at gratitude as well. We should give people what they are due. We may not be rich to be employers of labor, but we can give people the gratitude they are due, just words. And in the world we live in, I think it's expedient for us to be extremely careful because we may not be rich, but we have power, so much power now. 
where everyone can condemn. And finally, I have to end with this, talking about the condemnation and murder of the saints and the richest man who ever lived. Jesus was so rich, he had all, in fact, the Bible says all things were made through him and by him and they are for him, but he emptied himself of all that. What an example of how the rich should use their money or their funds or their wealth. He emptied himself of all that, came down in the form of human, was molested, crucified, died on the cross. The Bible says he became poor so we can be rich in God. Died on the cross, rose again and intercedes on our behalf. The richest became the poorest so that we can become children of God. He died so that whatever he did on the cross can bring us into more riches in God. Spiritual riches and riches in every sense of the word. That's what Jesus died for us. The innocent one was murdered, condemned, so we can be rich. Now, what an example that is. And I think that's where I'm going to end today. Looking at the example of Jesus, we may not be super rich, yes, but we may have some means, some form of wealth. We look at Jesus and we have to live that life of sacrifice, that life he's called us to live, putting others first, loving God and loving one another. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, your word which calls us to live for you. Please, would you help us to always acknowledge that we may not be super rich but we may have some means and thankfully we have learned how the ungodly riches lord we won't desire we won't have envy but we will desire you and live for you this we ask in jesus name amen, amen.